You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Today, with special guest host, Tamara Cherry. And what a day to be filling in for the great Evan Solomon. My God, what a day. The federal liberals and new Democrats have finalized an agreement that, if maintained, and that is a big if, would keep Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's minority government in power until 2025. This in exchange for progress on longstanding NDP priorities. Trudeau made the announcement this morning. The Liberal Party has reached an agreement with the new Democratic Party to deliver results for Canadians now. This supply and confidence agreement starts today and will be in place until the end of this parliament in 2025. Trudeau is pitching this as stability during uncertain times. We're different political parties. We stand for different things. But where we have common goals, we cannot let our differences stand in the way of delivering what Canadians deserve. He says both parties have identified key policy areas where they share similar objectives and they have agreed to work together. Trudeau says he wants to make something clear. This agreement is not about compromising the core beliefs of either of our parties or denying the differences between us. What it is about is making sure that those differences don't stand in the way of delivering for Canadians. Trudeau says this deal is, quote, a confidence and supply agreement, which generally involves an opposition party agreeing to support the government on confidence motions and budget or appropriation votes. Here are the conditions of the deal as disclosed by the NDP, starting with Pharmacare. The pledge is to pass an act by the end of next year with the intention of having the program running by the next federal vote. A national drug agency will have to develop a national formulary of essential medicines. And a dental care program will be phased in starting this year for people under the age of 12. In 2023, so next year, it expands to people under 18, along with seniors and people living with a disability. Then it goes into effect for everyone by 2025, though there are restrictions based on household income. Also listed in this deal, sick leave for federally regulated workers, along with commitments on climate change, housing, expanding election day to three days, and quote, a fairer tax system. Of course, conservative leader, a conservative, conservative interim leader, Candace Bergen, went in on the attack. Justin Trudeau has basically said uh, what I told Canadians I would do three, four, five months ago in the election. Uh, I've changed my mind because I actually want to feel and know that I have a majority, a majority power. And so I will do basically anything the NDP asked me to do in order to keep that power. Bergen said that millions of Canadians woke up this morning to the fact that they have been, quote, hoodwinked and deceived by their prime minister. This deal means that Canadians have woken up to an, in essence, an NDP liberal majority government. And I think we have to let that sink in. This is an NDP liberal government and they have the majority. Bergen says that this is nothing more than a, quote, Justin Trudeau power grab. She says this deal will prop up Putin 
because it hurts Canadian oil and gas. Now make no mistake, the NDP are in charge. What does this mean? Well, it means the decimation of Canadian oil and gas and LNG, which we now more, we know this more than ever. That means that that is really a, a way to prop up Putin and Russia. Bergen also seemed to designate NDP leader Jagmeet Singh as the new deputy prime minister today. Not sure what Christian Freeland would feel about that. But NDP leader Jagmeet Singh says the new Democrats will continue to hold the Liberal government to account. And we're not going to let the Liberal government off the hook. We're going to continue to fight hard for people and continue to make sure we hold them to account to deliver these things that people need. He says the deal addresses several of his party's priorities, including, as we mentioned, dental care and pharmacare. Singh was asked by reporters about when these talks with the Liberals started and why they came about. I always wanted to get help to people. I always wanted to use the, the parliament as previous New Democrat leaders have used parliament, use their power to get help for people. Tommy Douglas uses power to bring in Medicare. So what happens if the Liberals don't deliver on their deal? If they fall short on what we've agreed to, then then the, the deal doesn't continue. Uh, that's why we've got this deal in front of us. Uh, but I'm going into this um, with with a strong conviction that we can get this done. We are going to be breaking this story down uh, for you throughout the show today. We've got uh, our political analyst and former NDP leader, Tom Mulcair, waiting in the wings. We're going to be talking to him in the next half hour. Uh, Later on in the show, we are going to be breaking down some polling numbers from the conservative leadership race with pollster Shashi Curl. Uh, And then we're going to want to take some texts and calls from you on what your thoughts are. So Shashi is going to be talking to us about what is going on with the leadership race, who is leading, who is not leading, and what could this agreement that was announced today between the Liberals and the NDP potentially uh, mean for that conservative leadership race. Certainly, um, anybody who's running for the conservative leader in the conservative leadership race now will have to think long and hard about the fact that it looks like they won't have a chance at being prime minister for potentially another three years. And again, that is, though, a big if, if this agreement stays in play until 2025 as the Liberals and as the NTP are hoping for. We're also going to be speaking with CTV's Glenn McGregor a little bit later on in the show. He will bring his parliamentary eye, as only Glenn McGregor can, to this topic. Uh, I know that there were parliamentary reporters who were working right across the country last night, late into the night, on their phones, uh, on their email, trying to nail down the the facts with this deal. This is something that started to break yesterday afternoon and was officially announced by the prime minister this morning, all parties reacting. But of course, there are other things also going on in this world, if you can believe it. There is still a war raging in Ukraine. Russia continues to pummel cities right across the country. And coming up after in, after our break, in the next segment, we will actually speak with somebody who remains in Kiev, who has not left, who has been living in a war zone for the last four weeks. We can only imagine what life has been like for her. She will share some of her sentiments with us coming up in the next 10 minutes time. Uh, Defending Democracy will be on J- Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's speaking notes as he addresses the European Parliament in Brussels tomorrow. The Prime Minister will be in Europe for the rest of the week, meeting with members of the European Union, NATO and G7 leaders to build a core 
coordinated response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It is expected that the leaders will discuss how to respond to Russia should President President Vladimir Putin employ chemical, biological, cyber or nuclear weapons. So, of course, today, uh, the big news of the day is this NDP liberal agreement. But this war rages on and our prime minister will be hopping on a plane and heading to Brussels tomorrow where he will be spending the rest of the week. Plus, a little bit later on in the show, there is a mother who has been fighting for years and years and years to get basic facts about the the impaired driving crash that led to her daughter's death. This is a mother in New Brunswick who had turned to the Access to Information Act, hoping that that would give her the answers that she sought and uh, to no no effect in in, uh, uh, and to, to no effect. But you may be surprised to learn that this is not a surprise to many in the uh, victim advocacy world. We'll be speaking with somebody from the Center for Victims of Crime uh, coming up in the next half hour or so. And she will tell us just how difficult it is for victims and survivors of traumatic events in this country to get answers from the government, from police agencies uh, that pertain to the deaths of their loved ones. So you'll want to tune in for that. And again, much more coming up throughout the show on this bombshell news this morning from the NDP and the Liberal that uh, could see the Liberal minority government in power until 2025. I'm Tamara Cherry, filling in for Evan Solomon. Coming up after the break, we're live from Ukraine. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. Filling in for Evan, it's Tamara Cherry on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Nearly four weeks into Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the Russians are struggling to advance along the front lines that stretch across the country. Early this morning, Ukraine said it retook a strategically important suburb of Kiev. This as Russian forces squeezed other areas near the capital and continued to bombard the port city of Mariupol. According to the United Nations, more than 3.5 million people have fled Ukraine. That means some 40 million others remain behind. Among them, our next guest, Natalia Muzienko, is a leading research fellow at the Modern Art Research Institute of the National Academy of Arts of Ukraine. She is a member of the National Union of Filmmakers of Ukraine, the Ukrainian Oscar Committee, and the International Federation of Film Critics. And she joins us today from Kyiv, the capital of Ukraine. Natalia, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Are you in a safe place, Natalia? Mm, It's a very tricky question about a safe place in Ukraine now. I'm speaking uh, to you from uh, the Kyiv downtown, and I see from my window a big monument to the independence of Ukraine. Does it feel like there's independence for Ukraine today? Sorry? Does does it feel like, what does it feel like looking at that, that monument? Does it feel like an independent Ukraine today? 
I'm looking uh, at this monument and I'm confident in the Ukrainian army and also I'm confident uh, in the territory defense of the capital of Ukraine, Kiev. And since the beginning of uh, this war of Russia's large-scale invention of Ukraine, uh, 65 civilians, including four children, have been killed in the aggressors' attacks of Kiev. And uh, Russians continue shelling Kiev. Uh, the, the Kiev is their aim. And... Uh, we have today we have a curfew for all day long and uh, i am listening in the downtown of kiev the sounds of shelling and two buildings uh, were on fire as a result of enemy shelling uh, last uh, last hours my god can you can you paint a picture for us natalia what a day is like in the life for you uh, these last four weeks. Uh, well, uh, today is a closed day. Curfew. We stay. We stay at homes or in shelters. It depends upon the situation. Um, sometimes it's uh, even uh, there is no time to go to shelters, and uh, so it's the third time uh, during uh, this. Uh, this terrible war, we have such a long curfew, given the possibility to our uh, defenders uh, to clean um, the city. Yes, and um, we have food. Yes, uh, we have free food distribution for those uh, for elderly people, who for those uh, who can't afford the food. We have some mag- uh, shops uh, uh, that uh, function. So, and uh, we have a lot of volunteers uh, who are doing their job for helping uh, people. And of course, the main job is our army, and the main job is uh, territory defender, uh, defendants of uh, Kiev. Yes. Do you do you plan on on staying as long as you can, Natalia? Do you have plans to leave? Or are you just taking uh, uh, it day you know, by day? Uh, you know, uh, I don't want to be pathetic. Uh, uh, I stay. Uh, but nobody knows what will happen next. Uh, but to tell the truth, I so hope uh, and believe in our army that uh, uh, I'm sure uh, that the Kiev, uh, that the Kiev is staying and the Kiev will uh, stay. Yeah. You you told us uh, a moment ago that there's volunteers there that you're you're able to get food. I know it's a very different situation in Mariupol, which has been under uh, much more um, bombardment. Mariupol is a tragedy. Is a tragedy. Is a tragedy. It's a uh, when well you know when I hear about Mariupol, I'm crying all time long, and that's why that's why I would like to tell you very important thing that uh, today today a lot of uh, people a lot of uh, through the whole world is uh, helping ukraine and uh, i would like first of all i would like to thank all canadians uh, that we appreciate greatly your solidarity uh, during this terrible time of war but look at mariupol we need to close our sky please please influence your government 
to help us to close our sky. We know we know that uh, to close the Ukrainian sky, we need a real leadership to do it, or in, uh, through the Western politician. If no, Ukraine will become Mariupol. Look, they even bombed uh, the uh, theater where, uh, and they knew, knew very good that the theater served as a shelter for children. They are bandits. And that's why, that's why there is a very uh, important uh, topic, being in arts and the culture. I uh, would like to point out that the Russian culture, so-called big humanistic Russian culture, they support this war now. They really do support this terrible war. And that's why we are calling to recognize a collective responsibility of all Russians in this terrible war. I mean collective responsibility, including arts and culture. And uh, Definitely not to put Ukrainians in, uh, in any circumstance, circumstances with Russians. Because now, when the, a lot of countries now are creating a charity funds to help Ukrainians, they do it to help Ukrainians and good Russians. There are no good Russians. There is a country, terrorist Russia, that has been declared today by the European Parliament that fully responsible for this genocide of Ukraine. Well, it, 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 we, there's no denying, though, the Russian propaganda machine that is keeping many Russians in the dark to what is going on in Ukraine. Uh, that said, Natalia, um, I know there's a lot of worry from Western countries who are refusing to impose the no-fly zone that doing so could lead to Russia, Vladimir Putin, employing even deadlier weapons, nuclear weapons. Do you worry about that? I worry about everything. About everything. Because even without uh, deadly nuclear weapons, they are killing everyday Ukrainian citizens. They already killed more than 100 uh, children. What for? And they are continuing to, um, to kill civilians. So I'm, uh, I'm worried about all weapons. And I'm uh, praying, I'm praying for all Canadians to do. We know that you are doing a lot of, a lot of job to help us. And we appreciate it all, everything you are doing. But please help us uh, to, uh, do, to create this non-fly zone. We need it because if no, all Ukraine becomes Mariupol. And that is that would be absolutely devastating as it, as it has been for the people of Mariupol. Natalia uh, Muzienko, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Stay safe. We'll be thinking of you. We'll keep in touch with you. And we wish you the best of luck as well as your fellow countrymen and women. Thank you very much. Stay safe. Thank you so much, Tamara. And I would like to send all my love to all my friends in Canada. And I'm sure they're sending their love back to you, Natalia. Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up after the break, we will be talking about a mother's struggle to get answers in the death of her daughter that happened years ago and why this struggle is anything but surprising for people who work in the victim-survivor advocacy world. I'm Tamara Cherry in for Evan Solomon.
Welcome back to The Evan Solomon Show. Today with special guest host, Tamara Cherry, on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. I am Tamara Cherry filling in for Evan Solomon, and what a day to be in Evan's seat. My goodness gracious me. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, Twitter at Evan Solomon Show, where we tweet out audio and news from today. If you want to listen back to the show or catch an interview you may have missed, Listen to the Evan Solomon Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. And this next segment may be one of those segments you want to go back and listen to again. Because in case you haven't heard, the federal liberals and new Democrats have finalized an agreement that, if maintained, would keep Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government in power until 2025. This in exchange for progress on long-standing NDP priorities. Trudeau made the announcement this morning. The Liberal Party has reached an agreement with the new Democratic Party to deliver results for Canadians now. This supply and confidence agreement starts today and will be in place until the end of this Parliament in 2025. So who better to break this down for us than CTV political analyst and former NDP leader Thomas Mulcair. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. I got to say, everybody on this show is a huge fan of yours. Myself included. We just love having you on. Thank you. Okay, so this first question is going to sound like an obvious one, but break it down for us. Who are the winners? Who are the losers today? Well, there's no doubt in my mind that the big winner is Justin Trudeau, because essentially he gets to t- change his minority government into what is, for all intents and purposes, a majority government. He's just been told by Mr. Singh that he's got his support for the next three and a half years or until the next election, which is in October of 2025. Big high five all around from the libs for that, no question in my mind. Now, the tricky part, of course, is going to be the details, because if you look at what they're calling the agreement, which is more in the nature of two simultaneous press releases, Trudeau essentially read this out at his press conference, as did Singh. I'm, you know, I'd love to see what, you know, an actual legal document where they've both signed on the dotted line. Maybe that exists and they're keeping it to themselves. Maybe they'll make it public. Who knows? Um, But the most important thing is the wording. So there's only one thing in there that I consider to be constraining for the Liberals, and that's to start getting kids dental care this year. I mean, that's a real timeline. It's a real objective. And it's something that Mr. Trudeau voted against. So Mr. Singh does get to hold that up and say, look, I got something very concrete, and of course it has to be done by the end of this year. So that's good. We require a lot of work to put something like like that in place that quickly. Tamara, you know the way the Mm -hmm. civil service works, but it's a great promise for him to hold up. But look at all the rest of it. Key issues. Subsidies to oil companies. They're going to be developing a plan to phase out. On the big questions of climate change, they're going to be advancing means to achieve their commitments. Pharmacare, continuing progress towards. So unlike the dental case that I just gave you, you know, which is, hey, kids are going to have mm-hmm. dental care under the Medicare program by the end of this year. That's hard and fast and a big win mm-hmm. uh, for Singh. But all, almost all the rest of it is very theoretical. It's all conditional and aspirational. But I don't think that there's much to sink your teeth into. 
Yeah. You know, block leader Yves-Francois Blanchet said he doesn't know what will be left of the NDP by 2025. Uh, we've got a real mix of, pe- uh, of messages coming in on our text board, but that is the sentiment of some people there that, that it will have been melded into the greater liberal spe- spectrum, as Blanchet put it. What do you make of that statement? Well, I was surprised by the number of NDPers who wrote me today. Um, you know, I have a public university address. I don't, uh, you know, I put things out on, on my Facebook and, and uh, otherwise, you know, my, my Twitter page and things like feed. But I, I don't spend a lot of time on social media, as I just proved with my choice of terminology there. Um, <laughs> but I have to say that so many people have been reaching out to me through my public address at the university today. I was super surprised. And it's, almost all with a question mark, what did the NDP get out of this? And so I think that there are a lot of people scratching their heads, looking for something maybe a little bit more concrete. I think that, again, the Liberals, you can just imagine, they think they've died and gone to heaven because Mm -hmm. they've got three and a half years in front of them instead of the constant ups and downs historically. Minority governments in Canada, 18 months. Now, I will say something in favor of the whole exercise, and it goes to one of the lines that Singh used the most, which is, look, I went into politics to try to help people, and he even had a little bit too much fun using uh, <laughs> Trudeau's favorite tagline, which is, we've got your back, which is kind of fun because Trudeau mm. says that five times a day. But I think mm-hmm. that there is a lot of truth to that. If you look back historically, prior, so up until the time of the Paul Martin minority, so minority parliament for Paul Martin. He was always wavering on the brink of defeat. Then you had two minorities with Harper, a majority for Harper, and a majority for Trudeau, and now two minorities for Trudeau. So Mm -hmm. do the math. I mean, we've had five minorities out of the last seven governments here in Canada, and people better get used to the fact that that's the new normal. So there is probably at the heart of this effort, even though we can, as I just did, say, well, you know, it doesn't really look that solid. There's not that much being promised. This could have been done differently. At the heart of it, there's an effort. I think that's good faith on both sides to say, look, we can't continue having, we don't want to be Italy after the Second World War with an election Mm -hmm. every 18 months. We've got to try to find some way of stability in this new normal, which is minority governments. And I think that that's what the Liberals and the NDP are trying to do today, to sell that. Well, I mean, certainly that was one of um, Justin Trudeau's recurring messages this morning was, you know, we're we're putting our differences aside to get things done for Canadians. Uh, it will be interesting, though, to see what an election looks like in 2025, yep. um, you know, because if we make it to 2025 and maybe that should be the next question. Do you think this agreement will last until 2025? I do. Yeah. I mean, it would take something really cataclysmic uh, for Mr. Singh to be able to walk away from it without having egg on his face. But he's the one with the most to lose. So he's going to have to measure this every step of the way because when he shows up on the doorstep in the 2025 election and his candidates are trying to say, vote for us, don't vote for those horrible liberals, the average voting Canadian is going to say, well, if they're so horrible, why have you propped them up for the past three and a half years? So that becomes a really difficult question for them to answer. And that's, of course, long term what they have to be most concerned about after signing this sort of deal. So maybe this la- the agreement lasts until late 2024, and that gives them something to say at the, at the door in 2025. Sure. I mean, they're going to, again, have to play it very carefully because Canadians are a little bit tired of what's been going on. Trudeau got in his licks without ever naming Poiliev, talking about 
the toxic environment in Canadian politics, the hyper-partisanship, clearly targeting Poiliev with that sort of line. Mm-hmm. There is going to be a big fail on climate change. I mean, Canada's got the worst record in the G7. That's not my opinion. That's Canada's environmental, sustainable development and environment commissioner who said that. So we can't we can't continue failing on this. And the NDP pushed the Liberals hard in the last campaign, and the Liberals used everything that they could find in the way of an ally to try to wiggle out of this. But at the end of the day, they didn't get it done, and they're going to have a lot of explaining to do. We just got a minute left here, Tom, but by way of timing, both Candace Bergen and Blanchette went after this agreement saying that, you know, what are they what what are they thinking doing this when there's a war going on in Ukraine? We had the Emergencies Act that uh, we just got out of. Um, They should be focusing on the war and not this. Is this a good use of time, do you think? Or what do you make of the timing? That's an incredibly hollow argument. They're just frustrated at the fact that Trudeau's bought himself a new lease on life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is exactly the opposite of what Bergen and Blanchette were saying. In the midst of all the chaos in the world and the economic and military uncertainty that we're going through right now, the last thing we need is an unstable government in Ottawa. So I think that mm-hmm. one of the strongest arguments in favor of what Singh and Trudeau have done today is to say, no, this is a time when we need stability. It's the exact opposite of what Blanchett and and Bergen were were arguing. Yeah, and in that respect, it might have been nice to see this before we had to go through another federal election in the fall. Thomas Mulcair, CTV political analyst, former NDP leader, always a pleasure. I bet you have a very busy day today. So thank you for making the time. Take good care, Tamara. All the best. Thank you. We have much more coming up after the break, including victims' rights in Canada. Why don't we have enough of them? I'm Tamara Cherry in for Evan Solomon. Evan Solomon is away. Sitting in, here's Tamara Cherry on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. I am Tamara Cherry broadcasting live from Saskatchewan, filling in for Evan today on a blockbuster day in Canadian politics. But as these things go, there's other news in the world. A war is raging in Ukraine and victims and survivors of uh, traumatic events right here in Canada are fighting for their rights and fighting for information. This week in the news, uh, we heard about a woman named Liette Savoie, whose 17-year-old daughter, Francesca, Francesca died in a car crash in New Brunswick in 2007, 2007. Since then, this mother has been trying to get information about what led to this crash beyond what she learned in court. She has been using something called the freedom of or the access to information act. So this is something that allows Canadians and institutions across the country to request information from government records, but there are some exemptions. And as we've learned in this case, this mother has not been able to get all of the information that she has sought uh, because of some limitations to this. But but despite her loss before the federal court, this battle could lead to some legislative changes. So to walk us through this and this issue, I'm joined on the line now by Aline Vlasianu, She's the executive director of the Canadian Resource Centre for Victims of Crime. Aline, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. 
So why don't we just start out to your with your reaction to the fight that this woman has had to get access to information in her own daughter's death. I think that would be surprising to many people, but I have a feeling it's not going to be surprising to you. What was your reaction? No, yeah. Unfortunately for me, it doesn't come as a surprise. I don't think people realize how much more there is, you know, to the journey that people have to face after a crime. You know, for example, in a homicide, like the crime happens, there may or may not be a trial, but that journey that takes years that takes decades and a lot of the time unfortunately victims are left to fend for themselves and in hopes of figuring out what happened getting access to information you know understanding how it went down if it was looked into correctly all that sort of thing so I'm, i'm really honestly not surprised that you know this person this victim had so many difficulties in trying to access that information it happens to a lot of my clients the, the information commissioner who is looking at this, this case, Caroline Maynard, said that this case shone a light on the shortcomings in the Access to Information Act. And uh, a spokesperson for Maynard told the CBC that uh, she has since sent a, a proposal to the federal government to modify the act to give the head of an institution like the RCMP discretionary power to disclose personal information about a deceased person to a spouse or parent for compassionate reasons. Does this give you hope, Aline, that there are changes to come for for victims and survivors in this country? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, it, it gives me hope for the future. It gives me maybe perhaps not in this specific case, which is really unfortunate, but it is the silver lining that hopefully moving forward, there will be some legislative changes so that other people don't have to go through the same thing. And, you know, I remember reading that in the, the, the judge in her ruling, you know, she had said, you know, the eventual expiration of the moratorium would offer some hope for this specific victim. And I think, you know, I think that underlines the fact that, you know, in this case, you know, it might, nothing might happen for this person specifically, but hopefully moving forward, it, it'll, It'll give some hope to others. And the expiration in that moratorium is 20 years, I believe, right? So what does that say that this mother, if if she only just waits 20 years, which is only a few more years from now, then she'll get the answers that she seeks. Tell me a little bit, Aline, about this, this FOI process. When a victim or survivor applies for freedom of information through a freedom of information request, what is that process like for somebody who is who has just re- suffered a traumatic loss? Yeah, and I, mean, I think the, the, the quote from the judge really highlighted the fact that sometimes people just don't necessarily say the right things. And I think the FOI process in and of itself is not meant to be trauma-informed and victim-centered, you know. There's usually a price tag attached to applying for those FOIs. And so, you know, maybe for most people, $5, $10, $20 might be a negligible amount, but that's not necessarily the same thing for victims who have, you know, limited income or if they're applying for multiple freedom of information requests, you know, it's just, it's super re-traumatizing going through the entire process. You know, um, you know, you're, you're already traumatized. You're going through this process. You're probably getting told, no, the, the offender's rights, the accused, the perpetrator's rights might come into play here. And, you know, you might get denied because of that. You're, you know, you might not be in the headspace to kind of go through all that paperwork either. Right. Mm hmm. Why is it so important for for the survivors that you work with that they get those answers? Like in this case, there was, I believe, a guilty plea that led to a 
criminal conviction, but this mother wanted more. I don't imagine that that is uh, unusual. Why, why is that quest for information so important for these survivors? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, there's no such thing as, you know, the end of a chapter, like something like this wouldn't be the end of a chapter for a mother who's, whose daughter was murdered, but it does provide some comfort. It provides an explanation. It gives her a better idea of what actually happened. You know, maybe for her, in her case, maybe she doesn't believe that that's what really happened. So she wants to have the answers herself. She wants her, like, to look at everything by herself uh, and kind of go through what happened and possibly relive those last moments of what happened to her daughter. Your organization, Aline, has been among many in this country that have been fighting for tangible rights for victims and survivors of traumatic events in Canada. Can you tell me a little bit about what's been going on with the Canadian Victims Bill of Rights? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the Canadian Victims Bill of Rights offers some um, rights, quote unquote, to victims of crime within Canada. You know, it came into power in 2015 um, and it essentially, you know, it provides the right to information, protection, participation and remedy to victims of crime. Um, unfortunately, it's just it doesn't have the teeth that are necessary for it to have so that it, it, it can actually provide tangible rights to victims of crime in Canada. Um, at the five year mark, which is 2020, it was supposed to be reviewed. Uh, it was supposed to have a parliamentary review. You know, there's been progress reports on it. There's been, you know, a lot of critiques about it. And, and this comes directly for vic- from victims, right, who are trying to to enforce their rights, but unfortunately can't actually do that. So mm-hmm. that parliamentary review never took place. We're still battling for that. And I think without that review, victims of crime in Canada will never actually have tangible rights. How far off do you think we are from having a, a trauma-informed society in this country, Aline? No, that's, uh, that's a complex question. Um, you know, my hope is that at one point in my life, I will be able to kind of work myself out of a job. Um, I, think, I think people are starting to realize, I think the pandemic kind of highlighted a couple of, of things within our society that aren't going well. So I'm hopeful that, you know, maybe the, this, this bill gets reviewed, you know, slow changes, but hopefully within the next, let's say, 30 years, we'll, we'll see something, you know, something different. Oh, the next 30 years. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's grim. Okay, Aline Vlasianu, thank you so much for joining us. Aline is the Executive Director of Canadian Resource Centre for Victims of Crime. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time, Aline. Coming up after the break, what's going on with this Conservative leadership race? We're going to break down some numbers with you with a pollster. I'm Tamara Cherry, in for Evan Solomon. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Today, with special guest host, Tamara Cherry. You may have woken up this morning to some news in Ottawa today of a coalition, not coalition, government, an agreement, it's being called, between the Liberals, the federal Liberals, and the federal NDP that will bring the... Justin Trudeau's minority government, keep him in power 
until 2025. If this agreement holds up until then, and of course, that is a big if. And of course, we are into our fourth week of the war in Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So you may be forgiven for forgetting that the federal conservatives have a leadership race on the go. Well, we have some new numbers in today. A new poll released today suggests that former Quebec Premier Jean Charest has the advantage in this all-important electoral battleground of Ontario. And I know everybody outside of Ontario, including those here in Saskatchewan, where I am, hate to hear that this is an all-important electoral battleground in Ontario. But we are hearing in this new poll today that Charest has the advantage over Conservative MP Pierre Polyev. And this could be a significant development in this leadership race. So here to break it down for us is Shachi Curl, president of the Angus Reid Institute that conducted this poll. Shachi, thanks so much for taking the time today. Tamara, thanks for having me. Okay, so what are we looking at with these numbers? Well, it's a story of two routes to victory. And one uh, offers an advantage to the candidate maybe running for leadership, but not so much if he's got to go and make the case to uh, win a general election. The other one uh, maybe is a bit competitive uh, in in some battlegrounds, as you say, but uh, has probably more of an uphill challenge winning leadership, but has much more scope for possibility at this stage to potentially win a general election. So who am I talking about? I'm talking about, obviously, Pierre Poilievre, and Jean Charest, as you mentioned in your intro. There is, Tamara, what I call the definitely and the maybe factor. So when you talk to core conservatives, people who voted conservative in the last election, they are a little more enthusiastic about Pierre Poilievre. Who else is all in on, on Mr. Poilievre? Half. People's Party voters, and of course they garnered 5% of the popular vote in the last election. You know, hey, you're from Saskatchewan, we like to talk about CFL and football out there, and (laughs) politics in Canada lately has been such a game of inches. Such Mm -hmm. a game of inches. So 5% here, 2% there, this is what matters. So there's a route to victory, both in terms of leadership, in terms of leadership for Poiliev, Uh, in that true blue, hardcore conservatives, conservatives who want to keep the party looking largely the way it is, upholding the values that it does, staying fiscally very conservative and also socially more conservative. Um, This is is where the true heart of the Poiliev base sits. And and he's got that going for him. Jean Charest, on the other hand, uh, is somebody who is seen more warmly and seen to be more appealing by people who vote. Uh, so what, what do I mean by that? I mean voters over the age of 55. Uh, they remember him from his time in the Brian Mulroney cabinet. They remember him from his time as conservative leader in the House back in the 90s. And they remember him as uh, a leader who who then left to go to provincial politics at a time when national unity was pretty precarious. He's also got a lot of second looks from, let's call them, purple or centrist voters, including two in five past liberal voters who say, you know what, that guy looks interesting. And that speaks for Charest to room to grow. He's got room to grow the party base because 
it's not enough to just win the popular vote, which is something the Conservatives did in the last two elections. You've also got to, got to win enough seats in the House to form government. Hmm. You know, it's interesting because uh, something we, we may be discussing on the show tomorrow, uh, but there was a, a report that was out this week from the, um, I don't want to get it wrong, the Canada West Foundation that was talking about young people leaving Alberta. And one of the reasons that was cited was because of the the social conservatism that and the very traditional views of the province and the cities in Alberta that may actually be turning young people off of Alberta. So it'll be interesting to see how that cohort plays out in the Charest Poilievre race. But what what do you say these what do you see in these numbers for Patrick Brown? Because when I think GTA, I think Brampton, I think, you know, those for ridings, sure. I think Patrick Brown. So there's, as, as it's, a, it's a cliche, but it's true. There's no winning a federal election without winning the cities. And that's been the challenge for the Conservative Party in the last several election cycles. Stephen Harper figured out how to do it. He used, speaking of Alberta, Jason Kenney, to go reach out to new Canadian communities, to suburban communities. Uh, but suburban communities have turned away from the Conservatives in the last two rounds. Patrick Brown brings uh, a lot of heft to certainly not just the GTA, but to other uh, types of new Canadian communities. Uh, He's a player in Ontario. Of course, he's got a little baggage trolling behind him, but (laughs) what politician Mm -hmm. doesn't these days? Um, That said, he, he does not at this stage have enough, I think, name recognition within either conservative ranks or nationally across the broader electorate. Very well known in Ontario, really well known in in Ontario political circles, but not necessarily outside of Ontario. So, you know, what will we see from him? Could he be an interesting dark horse that comes up the middle through successive rounds of voting? Right now, he is not really in uh, what you might call a front-runner position. So far, that space is very much occupied by Poiliev and Chere. Well, if we're to believe what uh, Patrick Brown and Jean Charest said, was it last week or the week before that they have sort of a gentleman's agreement to be happy for each other, support each other through this? Perhaps Patrick Brown is celebrating these numbers today, but I don't know, I'm a little bit skeptical of that. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> You got to get Patrick Brown on the show and ask him directly. <laughs> um, I would, I would never presume to know what is in anybody's head, but certainly, yeah. um, you know, both both the general elections and, frankly, the last couple of conservative leadership races have come down to final rounds of balloting, have come down to not a lot of daylight between winner and loser, uh, and for that reason, I think that. Uh, we shouldn't assume that any of this is is locked up, that there isn't room mm-hmm. to move, or that there isn't between um, Mr. Brown and Mr. Shade maybe some room to take the Conservative Party to a place that is more broadly appealing to more voters. And I know for a lot of core Conservatives that sounds like that's going to make their ears bleed. It's just going to make mm-hmm. them cry from all their orifices. But the, uh, <laughs> the, the issue really comes down to conservative voters and conservative party members making a decision around hey do we do we want to be the ideological pure heart and north star of of conservatism or do we want to win an election and Mm -hmm. uh and that's and that's where it comes down to the poiliev base says no the party should stay as it is and continue in its current image 
um, mm-hmm. would be Charest supporters say, look, I think that, that there's room to move the party to the center or to a more broadly appealing perspective because we'd actually like to win this time. Uh, Shashi girl, I've only I've only got a minute left and I I have to ask you before we run out of time. How different would these numbers be, if at all, had this poll been done after the news we heard this morning of this of this liberal NDP agreement? It really I think that's got to shake out. We've got to understand. So we've already seen the Polyev uh, video, you know, saying, help me fight back. We've seen we've seen Candace Bergen's reference to back. Or socialism, goodness gracious me. <laughs> um, we, what we need to understand is the extent to which uh, people absorb this across the political spectrum and feel that it is truly a, a, uh, an agreement of power sharing that will hold to 2025. I'm speaking to you from British Columbia. We saw hmm. one of these in 2017 between the BC NDP and the BC Green Party. Two big lessons to take away from that. Number one, the agreement did not go the distance. It didn't hold mm-hmm. for the full time. And secondly, it, uh, that uh, agreement didn't necessarily mean that the parties backed, the parties backed each other on every piece of legislation. So- Shachi Curl, we got to end it there. I'm sorry the Oscar music has carried us out. President of Angus Reid Institute, thanks so much for your time. I'm Tamara Cherian for Evan Solomon. Welcome back to the Evan Solomon Show. Today with special guest host Tamara Cherry on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. So you may have fallen asleep last night wondering what the heck you're going to wake up to this morning in terms of our political landscape as political reporters across the country furiously sent out emails and made phone calls and sent out text messages trying to figure out the facts of a deal that was announced this morning between the federal liberals and the federal NDP. And essentially this deal is, uh, well, we'll ask our next guest what what exactly we should call, but they're calling it an agreement that will keep the liberal minority government in power until 2025, if this agreement stays intact until then. Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, is pitching this as stability during uncertain times. We're different political parties. We stand for different things, but where we have common goals, we cannot let our differences stand in the way of delivering what Canadians deserve. As for what happens if the Liberals don't deliver on their deal, here's a little bit of what NDP leader Jagmeet Singh had to say. If they fall short on what we've agreed to, then then the, the deal doesn't continue. Uh, that's why we've got this deal in front of us. Uh, but I'm going into this um, with with a strong conviction that we can get this done. So here to break this down for us is Glenn McGregor, CTV National News senior political correspondent. Glenn, have you had any sleep since yesterday? Not much. I was up late into the evening trying to reach New Democrats and Liberals, members of both caucuses, trying to see what they were reacting to uh, to this to this agreement and what specifically it contained, because we weren't exactly certain. We sort of had kind of the broad strokes of what was in it, but it wasn't until this morning we got some more granularity on this to find out exactly 
what the liberals are going to be required to do in order to win uh, ongoing NDP support uh, for the next three years. And we are getting a little more information about that today. And uh, it's a long list of multi-billions of dollars of proposals uh, that the liberals uh, are going to have to act on if they're going to be able to count on Jagmeet Singh and the rest of his caucus to vote for them uh, in support of uh, confidence measures. So Wait, you're about was what there anything su- in that list that surprised you, Glenn, this morning? Uh, you know, the, a mix of stuff. I mean, we, we knew the big, the, the broad strokes were uh, both pharmacare program and also a national dental care. Now, Liberals have been talking about pharmacare uh, going back uh, literally decades, back to mm-hmm. the Paul Martin era. Uh, they've been talking about bringing in a national drug plan that would either coexist with people's existing uh, private sector plans, something your employer might cover your drug expenses, depending on who you work for, uh, or working in conjunction with some of the uh, provincial plans, which usually apply to people who are either seniors or uh, of um, a much lower income. So this is something that's been in the works for a long time, but you know, it seemed to have kind of dropped off the radar for the Trudeau Liberals. They campaigned on this hard in 2015, less so in 2019, and barely mentioned it last fall. But the NDP has been pushing on this. The other thing is the NDP has been aggressively pushing uh, since the last two election cycles is a national dental plan. Their rationale is that dentistry, your dental health, is uh, a key component of your overall health. And there's lots of scientific evidence to show that. And so they want uh, a national plan. And the Liberals are now look like they are going to act on this starting even this year, Tamara. They're going to phase in a national plan which would – uh, cover dentistry for, uh, I would say, lower uh, – they're calling it lower income, but it's actually a $90,000 household income cutoff. So it's not that low. It's, it's already well above uh, the median household income in the country. Uh, but for people who, uh, who are under 12 years of, uh, of age, and that would be the first year, and then it would phase in to cover people who are over 18, and then would expand above and beyond that as well. So it looks like they are going to do it. They are going to act on some of these things. There's lots of other uh, items in this long list, uh, um, some uh, provisions of various provisions uh, to increase affordable housing supply, uh, also some anti-scab legislation uh, that would um, make it illegal to use replacement workers in federally regulated uh, companies. So that's not all employers, but that's uh, airlines, banks, telecoms mostly. Not the most heavily unionized sector, but transportation uh, can be. Lots of people uh, are unionized who work for airlines and particularly yep. for rail- railways, as we've been seeing uh, out west with the, uh, Absolutely. the labor CP. disruption there. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, when you when you list off things like dental care, pharmacare, these seem like big wins for anybody that voted for the NDP. But then when we look ahead to 2025, I don't see how this can be a win for the NDP. Like, how does the NDP knock on doors in 2025 and say you should be voting for us and not the liberals? Uh, or or is, the, is that just a, a reason for this agreement not to make it to 2025? How do you hammer that out? I think for the NDP, the math for them was we are probably going to have to support the Liberal government for a couple of years anyway. And a big part of that is the NDP is not as successful as the other two parties at raising funds that you require to fight an election campaign. So it doesn't want to go into another federal election in uh, 18 months. Uh, mm-hmm. They need time to build up their war chest. What this? So they were probably going to vote to support the Liberal government on confidence matters regardless, at least for 18 months uh, two years, uh, maybe not as long as three years, but for that immediate future. So what this lets them do is say, hey, we we forced the Liberal government to act on these 
two top priorities, and they have some other priorities as well, but uh, chiefly on these these priorities, we can sort of take some moral ownership on this rather than having them support the government and, uh, and then the government maybe you know acquiescing and doing some of the things that they were going to do. They can kind of tr- claim credit for it. Now, uh, to your point, will that wash with voters? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I think uh, New Democrat supporters um, might appreciate that and – Actually, Jugmeet Singh today invoked two giants in the party's history, Tommy Douglas, who uh, did something similar in order to get a national uh, Medicare uh, program uh, back in the 1960s, uh, and also uh, Jack Layton, who had um, done something similar on uh, affordable housing um, when he was NDP leader. So there is some history of this, and uh, you know it may, it may play with the party's base. It's probably not enough to propel Jagmeet Singh into a uh, into the Prime Minister's office in 2025. But you never know. That's a long way off, and elections do matter. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, time shall tell. How, any, any indication of how long these talks were going on for, Glenn? It sounds like they started uh, right after the, the election uh, back in the fall. Um, but Jagmeet Singh uh, was asked about that actually today, and he said that they had been broken off a couple times or been interrupted a few times. So it sounds like there were conversations going on. You know, w- at what point they reached the level of actually formalizing an agreement and announcing it publicly with some of the terms included in it. Uh, probably mm-hmm. that was a much more uh, recent development. Uh, you have to wonder how much the sort of political discontent and upheaval called, caused by the freedom protest, 2022 mm-hmm. as they call it, uh, that was here in Ottawa, that was such an uh, uh, angry outpouring of uh, political rage towards the Liberal government, whether that was a factor in this or not. Um, mm-hmm. But it's going to be a factor going forward because those people who were so angry at Justin Trudeau, uh, some of them in part because of the way the pandemic was managed, others who just don't like him generally, uh, and they were at one point, Tamara, proposing that they take over control of government in some I kind know. of ruling junta with the governor general and the opposition parties. It was yes. zany, crazy stuff. It would never happen. But yeah. that sentiment is still there. And and I'm really curious to see what's going to happen over the next few weeks and months in the reaction to this agreement. Because they were banking, those people were banking, on the possibility that Trudeau was going to have to face the electorate uh, um, in, in the you know 18 months to two-year range. Uh, mm-hmm. And they believed that their views were much wider held uh, than than people realized and that he would inevitably uh, lose power. Now that option is taken away from them for at least three years if the Mm -hmm. deal holds. I'm not sure it is. It will. But Mm -hmm. they will now have no other channel but to express themselves through these kinds of demonstrations. So I think it's going to – a sleeper uh, part of this whole agreement is to watch and see exactly uh, how that that movement, that freedom movement, as they call it, uh, responds uh, not just here in Ottawa but right across the country. Absolutely. All right. Glenn McGregor, CTV uh, reporter, we, we so appreciate your, your time and your insight today. I no doubt a very uh, busy day for you. Best of luck put us live together your story for tonight. Uh, coming up after the break, we want to hear from you. Did you vote for the NDP? Did you vote for Liberals? How about Conservatives? What do you think of this agreement today? Give us a call. Send us a text message. I'm Tamara Cherry in for Evan Solomon. This is the Evan Solomon Show with special guest host Tamara Cherry on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. 
So we woke up today. Well, depending where you are in the country, maybe you woke up to this news. Maybe you woke up and then uh, waited a couple hours and got this news as it was for me. Um, But to a different political landscape in Canada. Yesterday, we had a clear cut minority liberal government with an official opposition of the Conservative Party of Canada, trailed by the NDP. Today, we have it's not a coalition government. That's not what it's being called. There's no NDP sitting in cabinet. Um, But we have an agreement between the federal liberals and the NDP that will have the NDP support the liberals through until the 2025 election in exchange for key things in uh, liberal or rather NDP leader Jagmeet Singh's uh, pocket, such as pharmacare, dental care, Uh, There's some labor uh, stuff in there, Uh, all sorts of things, a laundry list of things that the liberals will have to deliver on in order to keep the NDP happy. And as a result, this will, if the agreement stands up, and that's a big if, it will bring us to 2025 with this minority liberal government. How are you feeling about this? Are you happy if you voted liberal? Do you feel cheated if you if you voted NDP? Are you happy if you voted conservative? How are you feeling about this? Uh, we want to hear from you. You can give us a call into the show. It's a live show. One eight five five six three three ten ten. Or as always, send us a text message at seven ten ten. Again, one eight five five six three three ten ten. And the phone lines are already lighting up. Let's go to Dylan in Ottawa. Dylan, what did you think of this uh, this deal today? Uh, hey, Tamara. I think it's a disgrace. I think it's a total subversion of democracy. Uh, even if you agree with any of those things, uh, that's not what the Liberals ran on last time. They have no mandate for this. Um, you know, this is just such a blatant power grab. In, the, in late February, Trudeau was down to like uh, 16% in the polls or something like that. So he knew how hated he was. You know, I'm one of those people that uh, Glenn McGregor alluded to, uh, you know, who's a supporter of the Freedom Convoy, who just so despises Trudeau. And we were all hoping, okay, we, we thought, okay, finally, you know, this guy's going to be gone soon. He's going to either have no choice but to resign or he's going to lose in the next election. Uh, He's like a wounded animal at this point, we thought, you know. And now, in spite of knowing how hated he is, he's just like, no, he wants to stick around and he will do it by any means necessary. And, And, you know, even if you're someone who thinks that, you know, I'm not somebody in principle who's against, okay, affording, you know, dental care to, to, to kids who can't afford it. I was fortunate I had braces as a kid, but talking about adults, I mean, you know, I haven't been to the dentist in 20 years. You, you brush your teeth, you know, you take care of yourself. You don't eat a lot of garbage. You're fine. We don't need to be extending this stuff to everybody. I know a guy who has terrible teeth because he's a crackhead, you know? And I mean, so, so we don't need to be overextending. People are, people are in terrible financial straits right now with high gas prices out. Inflation is out of control. Now is not the time for all, for all this, for all this nonsense and to try and pass it off as, as a, as a means to stabilize things it's trudeau who's the one who's who's created the kind of toxic environment that we have in parliament right now not everybody else dylan dylan would would it make a difference for you if trudeau were to announce his retirement before the 2025 election <laughs> well that would be that would be good news but i i don't see him doing trudeau has already said that he plans on running again in 2025 as All right. Thank you. Th- th- thank you. Th- th- I wasn't aware of that. Dylan, maybe you just broke news here on uh, the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Dylan in Ottawa, thanks for the call. Let's go to George. You're in Toronto. Uh, George, how are you feeling about the agreement announced this morning? Uh, pretty sour, actually. Uh, here you, you know, I guess my son got taken away a little bit, but you had two, you know, three parties, which 
representative of whoever voted or what went out to vote the last time. And absolutely, this man that we call a prime minister, uh, you may give me one thing that he's done good in his seven years he's been in power. Just show me what his history is going to be like. Somebody wrote a book today about what he's done. And what it's done is divided the country even more. The fact that you got the NDP party back in someone who is in a losing position right now, if you held a vote today, he would lose. Uh, but here, here you go. There's almost like, for lack of a better word, a bribe of one party of the other party to get what they want. And that's the only reason. And not looking at the overall picture of division in the country. We don't have anyone who's standing up to say anything that comes out of a leader's mouth should unite a country, not break it apart, which is what's going on with the leader that we have now. It's divided the country, east, west, west, oil, pipelines, industry. Oh, my God, you know, we don't have, we have gas, but we don't have gas. We have this, we don't have that. So where, where are we actually heading? I think there's a huge confusion on the public on where we're heading. And, uh, you know, economically, I know we're, we're socialist economically, but now the country's heading into even worse, I think, and especially if, if this goes on. And if a party should be ashamed, it's going to go... Basically, you know, I'm going to pay you in votes. I'm going to get your vote and keep your leadership in your party as long as you give me this. Well, you mm-hmm. give me this, the whole country as a whole, you know, has to be united, and this is not going to unite. That's all I George, can say. George, would you be happy with going to the polls again next year? Because without this agreement, I, that's likely where we'd be going a year from now. Yes, I would, absolutely, given what's going on. And we're this, we already know where, where, where Trudeau wants to head with the country. We already know what he's doing now. They already know he's signing deals with the WHO, for example, on the next pandemic. It's going to be controlled by the WHO because countries are signing. All righty, George. And that's where we end your call. When we start getting into the pandemic conspiracy theories, Rachel, you're in Brampton. Uh, you think that this was a smart move by Singh. Tell us why. Yeah, it's a very smart move by uh, Jatmi Singh because this year he's not going to be a prime minister anytime soon. But he has some, you know, the NDP mandate. This is the way he gave it done, right? And why not? And two reasons why I'm, I'm, I'm always a liberal voter, but two reasons why I like Jasmine Singh. Um, I mean, this, this is one of the reasons. And the second reason is I bumped into him the other day, just in our neighborhood of Brompton. Mm-hmm. And how down to earth he was. Like, he's just like an average person. And you can relate to him, you know? But, but Rachel, where, where do you think that puts him in, in 2025? Uh, Jugmeet has made this agreement with the liberals that he's supporting the liberals. What does he say to people, to voters, when he's knocking on doors in 2025 in terms of why yeah. they should vote for him and not for Justin Trudeau or, or whoever the liberal, liberal, liberal leader well, he, of he, the moment he is? Will, he will talk about the, the deal he made with the, the liberals to, to, to force them into, uh, uh, you know, uh, getting all the the, the uh, NDP mandate. And then uh, people might like him as a, as a, as a leader. Uh, a lot of people don't know him that much, right? So mm-hmm. when I talked to him the other day, I was like, I'm so impressed. Very, like, uh, wh- I never seen any representative coming to our Brampton area, just walking around. And he was like meeting people and talking to people. Even the local representative, I never seen them. So the more they know, they get to know him. Uh, they, they might like him. It's like 2025. 20, it's a long time away. 
Yeah, right? well, like Candace, Ber- Candace Bergen called him the new deputy prime minister today. Again, I think that's something Christian Freeland would take issue with. But yeah, maybe we will be hearing more from Jagmeet Singh as a result of this. Uh, Rachel, thanks so much for your call. I want to get to one more call. We just got a minute left. John, you're calling from York Region, north of Toronto. Uh, what's your reaction to this agreement? Well, if we wanted the NDP policies, we would have voted the NDP in. And the reason the NDP want to have uh, work with Liberals because they're broke and they can't have they can't afford to have another election at this time. Are, so, are you comfortable, John, saying who you voted for in the last election? Yeah, I voted blue. So, I mean, this wouldn't have made a difference for you ultimately, right? No, I mean, the, the, the NDP pushing ideas like five or six of them, we couldn't even they're all billion dollar ideas and we couldn't afford one of them. And now they're going to say that we're going to get three of them. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah. We, we, we have, there has been no shortage of money being spent over the last two years with the pandemic now supporting uh, the, the Ukrainian people, of course, in the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, so yeah, time will tell what, what it all looks like um, in terms of the budget and how far into the red we are come the 2025 election campaign. John, thanks so much for your call. Thanks to everyone who texted and called in. A real mix of opinions on the text board. I must say, this is one of those issues that uh, really run the gamut. Some people happy, some people not happy, some people absolutely furious. You will be very happy with the next segment we have coming up after the break. This is a story you're not going to want to miss. Imagine booking an Airbnb and then finding out the morning after that you showed up in the wrong place. That happened to our guest. Uh, Coming up after the break, I'm Tamara Cherry in for Evan Solomon. Evan Solomon is away. Sitting in, here's Tamara Cherry on the iHeartRadio Network. If you go to the website, travelislife.org, you'll see the words, we bring the world to you, videos, stories, and travel resources. Well, does Travel Is Life owner Paul Drexler ever have a story for us today? Paul Drexler is on the line now. Paul, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Good to be here. You... You have you I mean, you have a very strong social media following through all your travels, but you have become quite the celebrity in recent days. And we are here to talk about why you are. I mean, you're not just any traveler. You do this for a living. How many Airbnbs have you have you stayed in, would you say, over the the span of your lifetime? It's hard to count. I've been traveling full time for about a decade. And then even before that, in different chapters of my life. Granted, at some point, Airbnb wasn't in the picture, but just living out of hotels and, and short-term rentals, that's, that's been my lifestyle for, for the past decade or so. So I'm no, I'm no amateur traveler, which makes this <laughs> okay. story even more crazy. Okay, so the first thing that came to my mind when I read your story was Goldilocks and the Three Bears. And I got to just say before we get into the story how incredibly pleased I was to see your awesome hair and how much that kind of falls into the Goldilocks uh, (laughs) narrative that we're about to get into. Anybody who wants to Google Paul Drexler, this guy is like the best head of hair you'll probably see all day. So Paul Drexler, most recently you were a Florida tourist 
And tell us what happened when you showed up at what you thought was the Airbnb where you were sleeping that night. Do you mind if I ask you real quick? I saw your background, and you always do crime stories. That's your, yes. Is that why I'm talking to you today? You this is the, this is why you're such, you're such a breath of fresh air. Exactly. My day job is trauma, trauma, trauma. That's why I love coming on the radio and filling in, because I get to talk to just gems of people like you, Paul, who have like nothing but happy stories to tell. So thank you for bringing this joy into my life. <laughs> okay. You are not a criminal. Was, Don't worry. Airbnb <laughs> bandit or something like that. But yeah, right. Um, exactly. Okay. So you showed up at this Airbnb. What happened? So my day had started really early that morning. I was in, I, I spent half my year in Ecuador and the other part home in, in USA. And so I was in Cuenca, Ecuador for a wedding that day uh, or the previous days. I left that morning. Cuenca took a long bus to Guayaquil, took a plane to Panama City, another plane from Panama City to Miami. And by the time I got through customs, took an Uber to the Airbnb or so what I thought was the Airbnb, it was about two o'clock in the morning and I'm just exhausted at this point. The, the mishap came somehow between taking the GPS coordinates from the Airbnb app, saving them a few weeks earlier in my Google Maps app, taking that and putting it into the Uber app, we had wound up with the address of the house next door. Hey, all the apps leads you to the house next door. Okay, so what happens? You, so you Mira, The I, door's I open? I'm, I think I'm being super prepared by having everything ready to go. All, all the address saved in my phone. We get there. The Uber driver helps me unload my, my baggage from his trunk. And I'm, I'm looking at the doors. We're trying to see the numbers, but it's very dark. And he goes, oh, here it is. Well, you know, I say, oh, that's it. I, I look at the Uber app. He looks at the Uber app. And, and that's, in fact, the uh, number. Now, I knew ahead of time that the host for the Airbnb would not be home. So she had given me explicit instructions on how to let myself in. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been so bold just to reach a house and and enter it myself. But I pulled out the Airbnb app again, and I I started reading her instructions. She goes, okay, at the end of the driveway, there's a gate. We've left it unlocked for you. Uh, Make your way through that gate. So end of the driveway, there's the gate. Check. Unlocked. Check. When you get to the other side of the gate, uh, there's a dog in our backyard. Please shut the gate because the dog always likes to escape. <laughs> Get through the gate. There's the dog. Hey, pup. Yeah, I love dogs. Uh, shut the <laughs> gate so he doesn't escape. And that's when I see the guest house. This is a detached guest house um, behind the, the primary residence. The outdoor light to the guest house is on. The door is unlocked. I come inside, and, and now I'm, I'm inside what I, what I think is my Airbnb. Oh my gosh. Okay. So did this look like an Airbnb? Were you, were were there any red flags at this point? Were you thinking, all right, those were some like rocking instructions. Here I am. Now I can go to bed. Oh yeah. I was ready for bed at that point. I was exhausted, but there was a couple of red flags. There were a couple of red flags. It looked a little bit lived in a little bit messy. There were, there were things everywhere. And I actually pulled out the app to compare the photos from the listing uh, to make sure I'm in the right place. And here I see, okay, there's the one bedroom. Uh, here's, here's the tiny table. Everything looks okay. You know, I've, I've been in worse Airbnbs. A lot of times people just use their rental unit to store stuff. This isn't the most expensive Airbnb in town. It's not a terrible one, but it's not expensive. So maybe over the years, since they took the photos, they just started using it for things. Anyway, so <laughs> I, I make my way into the bedroom. The bed is made. The thing that pushed me over the edge were, were two 
fresh, clean, folded towels waiting for me on the edge of the bed. No, and- there were towels on the edge of the bed. That, that would have sealed it for you. Yeah, you're in your Airbnb. I think if I walked in, the bed was, was not made and there were dirty <laughs> towels. There. The place was clean. It just was lived in. And so I, I passed out. And, you know, a few hours later, it must have been about 830 in the morning, I get a knock on the bedroom door, which in hindsight is even more wild that the homeowner actually knocked on his own bedroom after yes. realizing that someone's in his guest house. But he's such a nice guy. And he said, Hey, man, can I help you? This is my house. Oh, my goodness. And I'm startled awake at this point. I was like, um, this is an Airbnb that I rented. And really calmly, he says, no, this is this is my house. <laughs> and from that point forward, we figured out the mistake. Um, it was super nice. He was like, look, I, I've got to go meet the nanny uh, up front, but let yourself out. He wasn't in a rush to kick me out. And so I, I was embarrassed and shocked, and I grabbed all my stuff. I hadn't really unpacked much made my way um, out the door to the uh, front, front of the house. And at this point, I didn't know where I was in relationship to the actual Airbnb. So he comes out, again, super nice, and says, hey, I think what you're looking for is this house next door. Wow. All the instructions were the same. There's the gate, wow. it's unlocked. There's the dog, there's the guest house. And I finally made it into the right Airbnb. He and his neighbor must get along. They've got similar furniture, similar pets, similar, similar homes. They, they must be the best of buds. They never actually knew each other. And I, I wrote the oh, really? Airbnb That's host funny. that morning. And I said, I, felt, I feel obliged to tell you what happened here. I don't want to cause any issues with your neighbor. They had never met before. So I think I, I, think I gave them quite the icebreaker. That's hilarious. Paul, we just have a minute left. Really quick. I understand you want to get a gift for your unofficial Airbnb host. What would that gift be? Yeah, I've got a really fun ending to this story, and I'm, I'm glad we were talking today instead of last week because I didn't have this, this fun ending for you. I, I wanted to do something nice for him. I could only afford so much personally. I reached out to the security system, Simply Safe, and they're actually sending the guy a complete home security package plus a free year of their premium service. How's wow, that so no more Paul Drexler's breaking in in the middle of the night under the cover of darkness and sleeping in their bed. No more Goldilocks breaking in to the three bears. You know, at least pa- the next time I do it, they'll see me uh-huh. coming in the security cameras. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love it. And you're hard to miss with that full head of hair that you have. Uh, Paul Drexler, founder of Travel is Life. Thank you so much for sharing this wonderful story with us today. I am Tamara Cherry in for Evan Solomon on the Evan Solomon Show. I will be back one more day tomorrow. Let's just see what tomorrow has in store for us. Can we beat the news day that we had today? Time will tell. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening.